Well, welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Rodi, your host for this program, and you're hearing us from the studios at the Coming Home Network International. Uh, I'm joined today by a good friend um, who's uh, not only a, fr- a personal friend, but a friend of the Coming Home Network, Dr. Paul Thigpen. Hello, Paul. Hello, Marcus. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you back. You've been on the program before, as well as the Journey Home program and uh, other things. You actually spent some time working with the Coming Home Network and on our board, and it's just great to have you here. Those of you that are not very familiar with Dr. Thigpen, he's a prolific author. He just finished his 50th book. It just blows my mind. 50th book. Uh, if you're interested in any of his books, you can go to Amazon.com and look at his author page, and it'll just put his name in. You'll find a lot of them, and um, I highly recommend all of his books. I really do, and especially uh, one of the reasons that I have Paul here today, uh, besides the fact that uh, he was recently on the Journey Home program, which I encourage you to go to, is that uh, because of some things he's written, uh, I thought it would be good to have him on to talk about how we as Catholic Christians um, or non-Catholic Christians uh, understand and face the the scandal going on right now in the Catholic Church. And we don't want to belittle the scandal at all. Uh, to some extent, it's a continuing scandal. It's been around for a little bit, for a little while. Um, and the question arises, well, why? Why have these men who were given such trust and grace and opportunity to serve our Lord seem to have failed that calling? And how do we respond to that? And so I thought on this Deep in Scripture program that I would invite my good friend uh, Paul to address that issue because Paul has written a couple books that deal with the issue, one of which was about the scandal of the early 2000s, right, Paul? Yes. I, I forget the name of that book. Shaken by Scandal. Shaken by Scandal. He edited a collection of writings that's still in print. So if you're interested in reading that now 15 years later. He's also written some superb books on spiritual warfare, dealing with temptation and attacks from the devil. That kind of seems pertinent to what's going on in our world today. And he's also written... the. the the book, The Burden. Tell them about the book, The Burden. Well, it's a little bit out of the box. It's uh, over a period of uh, some days uh, in prayer. I believe the Lord was speaking to me, and I wrote down what, he, what I believe he said. And I don't claim to be a prophet by any means. I don't claim even that it's private revelation, but it's, uh, it's what I heard. And the, the, the book's called The Burden, A Warning of Things to Come. And the truth is, since it came out in March of 2013, several of the things it describes have come about. Yeah, you told me about some of those, and it's pretty amazing. Maybe another time we can have a long discussion about that, because I think the question now is when we look at what's happening not only in the church as well as the world around us. I I said in one of the recent publications I put out there that the problem is that too many cats have been let out of too many bags, and is that indicative of the time we live in the age of the church? Um, and so, you know, prayerfully we look forward. And uh, but I thought that the the topic that I wanted to drop into good Dr. Thigpen's lap to to address with us today has to do with some difficult scriptures. Now, sometimes as there are scriptures alone, verses alone that are hard. How do you deal with this verse? You know, it could be a really difficult verse, and you might have different Christians coming up 
with different interpretations of the same verse. But traditionally, the way at least non-Catholic Christians have always argued to deal with difficult verses is you compare it to another verse. And that's how you come up with the solution. You find you bring other verses together. And I've jokingly said it seemed like people would grab any three verses, you can start a new denomination. You know what I mean? That's kind of the way you look at history. But what we're going to do today is a little different. Because, okay, if we can put two verses together and that solves the problem, what if you put two verses together and it causes a conundrum when you have two verses or more that seem to contradict one another? And so the overarching theme of our scripture study today is the issue of the fear of God. And you don't hear much about the fear of God anymore. I can't remember the last time I heard a church document deal with the fear of God. Uh, many Christians think the fear of God is an Old Testament thing. Since Jesus, we don't have to fear God anymore. It's all about love. So how do you put those together? So what I'm going to do to my good friend Paul is I'm going to read three verses. I'm going to read two, two New Testament verses and a verse from 1 Clement. And then I'm going to let him run with it. Okay? The first verse I'm going to read is from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. So this is the Apostle Paul writing in the second letter that he wrote to these Christians, these are Christians at Corinth, who are always getting into trouble. And especially the second, he's dealing with misunderstandings. He writes to them, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit and make holiness perfect in the fear of God. Now, on an aside, I love that verse. I love that verse. I think that verse is absolutely essentially important to our day and age, exactly what we're going through now. Since we have these promises, in other words, the things that we have in Jesus Christ, Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit and make holiness perfect in the fear of God. All right, Paul. Now, you've got that memorized, Paul, so you just remember that. Now, a little bit later, maybe 5, 10, 15, 20 years later, a man by the name of Clement wrote a letter from Rome to the same people. Now, uh, there are scholars that think Clement was written at the end of the first century when he was a pope, but I think I agree with many con conservative contemporary scholars that believe that this letter was written when Clement was a presbyter in Rome before the fall of Jerusalem. Makes the most sense of what so that means is that Clement wrote this letter to the same Christians 5, 10, 15, 20 years later. And here's what he wrote them. He said in 1 Clement chapter 3, For this reason justice and peace are absent, in that each one abandons the fear of God and becomes dim-sighted in faith, does not walk in his lawful commands or conducts himself in accord with the customs of Christ, but each walks according to the desires of his evil heart taking in unrighteous and godless jealousy through which death came into the world. 
And once again, it sounds like he's talking about today. You know, each person deciding for themselves what they want to live and abandoning the fear of God. So there we have Apostle Paul and first and Clement writing to the same group of Christians in the New Testament age, talking about the necessity of the fear of God. Then, at the same exact time period, over on another part of the kingdom, we have the Apostle John writing as essentially the local bishop or the, the apostle to his group of churches that he's pastoring. He writes them his first letter, and in chapter 4, after a long section on love, he says in verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect, perfect love casts out fear. So, oh, I'll go on. For fear has to do with punishment, and he who fears is not perfected in love. So, my friend Paul, how do we deal with the verses that talk about the necessity of fear of God? On the other hand, a verse that says, well, if you really love God, there is no fear. It's uh, the conundrum that I had, uh, but I began to, to look much more deeply into it and, and discovered all kinds of things. First of all, that um, many more verses than these talk about both fear and love, both Testaments. So Deuteronomy 6 Moses says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And a few verses later, he says, fear the Lord, right there in the same passage. Um, Jesus himself once said, don't fear the one who can kill your body. Feel the, fear the one who can get your soul thrown into hell. And he's talking about God. So Jesus himself says, fear God. Then you've got it in, in other places, in the letters of St. Paul. Um, so... What's, you know, in light of perfect love cast out fear? How do we get all that together? And, uh, and I think there's, we have, especially from the saints, some insight into that. But um, we, I think the first thing we have to realize is kind of what, what do we mean by fear and love? And that uh, love, of course, is uh, St. Augustine spoke of love and fear as, as motions of the will. That when we, when we love something or someone, this is our will as if our will reaches out for it, desires it, wants to embrace it, wants to be united to it. But fear is an aversion. You want to, you, you, the will wants to kind of back up from it, shrinks away in some way. And so um, to, that's one way in which you say it seems hard that you would reach out for something and also draw back from it to love and to fear. But I think uh, we need to ask ourselves, first of all, what is it in God that might cause us to, to pull back? To, to fear. And, uh, and we also have to admit it's certainly possible for someone to have the wrong kind of fear of God. That parable that Jesus uh, told in which he said that the servant says to the master, I knew you to be a hard man and therefore I buried my talent. And, um, and the master says, oh, so you knew me to be a hard man. Knows you, you, he says sarcastically, you uh, had the wrong idea of me. The man was fearing something in, in the master that wasn't true. So it's possible to have that kind of misperception. Um, but what is it that would be in, in God that actually could cause us in certain ways to, you might say, draw back? I think at a very basic kind of creaturely level, we don't often hear this, that um, we fear God's superlative attributes as our creator, 
because we're just mere creatures. And um, think of the passage where God speaks to Job out of the whirlwind, and Job has been kind of not exactly boasting of his his uh, his rightness and, and his justice and complaining, but um, God answers him, where were you when I founded uh, the earth, when I established the foundations of the world? Have you ever commanded the morning and shown the dawn its place? Can you send forth the lightnings on their way and on and on? And Job kind of draws back and says, I repent, dust and ashes. Um, like Job, I think we have to learn this kind of basic fear of God. It's a, it's a natural fear of this almighty creator um, by the creature. It's healthy for us because it humbles us. It helps us to remember uh, who we are not. We are not the boss. <laughs> God is the boss. So that's the first thing, a kind of uh, healthy fear that just where we recognize how great and powerful he is and how small we are connected. And that's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It, it teaches us who draw, God truly is and who we are. But then also we, we fear God's utter holiness because we're sinful. It's, uh, sin is like a stain in our souls, and we, we come to the presence of God who's fully uh, holy without stain, and, and we find the encounter painful. The, the fathers of the ancient desert used to speak of it as they said, if, if your eye is diseased, then it's hurt by being in the presence of bright light. Even though it was made for the light, if it's diseased, it's, it's hurt by the light. And so there's a kind of fear that way that if we're, we're our, our lack of holiness is uh, with, withdraws, pulls away from God's holiness. That's why in the book of Isaiah, um, we, we find Isaiah in this discomfort where it says he sees God in the temple who's holy, 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 and his response is, woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Um, so we fear that kind of discomfort. But again, the fear's healthy. It's a sign to us that we need to, to grow in holiness, to be, be like him. But also we fear God because we fear his justice. We know that the, uh, we deserve punishment, we, we deserve chastisement, and that he's a God who comes to judge the earth. The book of Hebrews says we rightfully have a, a fearful prospect of judgment and a flaming fire that's going to, to consume God's adversaries. And that fear, too, can be healthy if it helps to spur us to, if we've strayed from God, repent and, and go back to him. If, it's a fear that kind of drives us away from hell that can drive us straight into the arms of God. And even those of us who are trying to live God's will may be chastised for the sake of our spiritual growth, uh, Hebrews says, for whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. So we're like little children who know that our Father will correct us when we misbehave, and that, no that knowledge helps us to behave the right way. So in all those ways, first of all, we can see how fear is a, a healthy thing, just like Fear of putting your hand in the fire, there's a good reason for it. But um, the whole notion of, of perfect love casting out fear, we have to keep in mind, I think, uh, what several of the saints have said, St. Catherine of Siena said it, and uh, St. Augustine has a beautiful image too, that there is a, a growth in our relationship with God in which there's a certain kind of fear in the early stages that then gives way to another kind of fear and finally gives way to a third kind. That, that in the beginning, and, and this is where most of us start and occasionally find ourselves, it's the fear of a slave, they would say, the fear of punishment. A slave obeys the master because he doesn't want to get beaten. And for a lot of us, that's, that's where we have to start. But uh, maybe most of us, we have to start there. But eventually, we grow into 
uh, what they would call the fear of a, of a servant that, uh, or even who earns wages, that uh, we don't fear getting beaten, but we fear not receiving our wages if we don't do the right thing, if we don't obey. So we fear the loss of good stuff, uh, which is better than fear of the punishment, but the third then is the fear of a friend. And that fear is, I fear anything that will come between you and me, you say to your friend. And if this thing is going to get between us, I don't want it. I have an aversion to it. I want to shrink away from anything that gets between us. And that's kind of echoed in, in Jesus' words on the night he was betrayed, that I've called you servants, and now I'll call you friends. So there's a, a kind of a growth into that. And so in that light, we can see there's certain kinds of fear that are going to kind of be heightened and moved into a higher kind of realm until they are a, a purified kind of fear. Uh, St. Augustine used an image about that. He said that, that um, fear and love are like a needle and thread. And when you put the needle into the cloth, uh, it pierces the cloth and then it pulls the thread in its, in its train. And when you're done with the sewing, you throw away the, or you take away the needle and the thread remains. And he said fear is like that. It, it, it pierces us, it hurts, it's painful but it makes a place for love in our hearts. And once the love is in place, the love remains, the love abides, and the fear goes. And that would, of course, for most of us be, be heaven. It's still, um, I still think probably in heaven, I've asked myself before, okay, is there some kind of fear that will still remain in heaven? And I think it is, even though we've been purified, even though there's no more prospect of judgment, all those things, I think we will still have the kind of fear that the creature has before the creator. I like the analogy I like is my, uh, when my, my son was a, a little kid, maybe, you know, three, uh, he would love to have me chase him around the house <laughs> like a monster, just making these noises. And he would scream, he'd scream. And, and, uh, and he was genuinely, you know, had this kind of thrill of, oh, this big, big, strong guy's coming after me. And then I would finally catch up with him, grab him and embrace him and pull him close to me and say, I love you. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's like the fear and the love kind of come together there that, that yes, he still realizes this, this daddy is bigger and stronger and maybe even smarter, I don't know, than I am. And he could get me, but he loves me. And that even in heaven, I think we'll have that kind of attitude toward God, that this creator, this one who's almighty, all-knowing, is also all-loving, that he is able to, he, he could wipe me out like a speck of dust but instead I'm beloved dust. He loves me. And then the, the love gets heightened by the, that kind of basic fear that the one who, who could just make me disappear altogether instead wants me to live with him forever. Let me add a couple things there, Paul. That's awesome. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. Because this issue has been big to me for all the years of my ministry, uh, the importance of the fear of God. And partially it's because I've heard so many opinions on it over all these years. I've been in ministry over 40 years. And even when I come into the Catholic Church, um, uh, the sad thing was I didn't hear about it very much at all. And it's like, well, what happened here? Um, and again, as I've grown in my own understanding of Scripture, a couple things that I just want to add in to your thoughts and get your reflections on. One thing I discovered... First John was always one of my favorite books when I was a Protestant. Uh, uh, even helped write a commentary on it, and I thought I knew it. And then 
when I became a Catholic, I realized I didn't know it at all. Um, that I think when John wrote First John, um, he was he was uh, sitting in the seventh castle. Uh, if you understand Saint Therese, uh, Teresa, uh, that I think John was writing from a level of spiritual development that we've not most of us have not attained yet which is why he could talk about living sinless lives, uh, which can sound like, what's he talking about? You know, the, you know if, if, if you know Christ, you don't sin anymore. Well, that's talking about a much higher level of spirituality than I've attained yet. But he's, he's aiming in that direction. So the point is that what John is, is talking about, the, the theological John, the spiritually uh, mature John, uh, Apostle John, is drawing us in a direction of perfection that we haven't arrived at yet, but we're aiming there, um, uh, which is why he's calling us to, to seek to live sinless lives. And the, the ultimate trajectory of our spiritual walk is perfect love. I mean, that's unity with Christ. Uh, by his grace, one day we'll have perfect love. And when we share that perfect unity with our Lord, if by grace we do, uh, I believe there will be no fear, you know, in that sense. Mm -hmm. You know, we're standing face to face in the beatific vision. When we have perfect love, there will be no fear. And that's our trajectory we're aiming, working out our salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Uh, in this side of heaven, so that by grace we, we can stand before him without embarrassment, John says in another place. So the fear, in my mind, is how we get there. It's, it's obedience. It's a surrender to Christ. That's how we reach love. And if you will, uh, you know, we see as a young child, when we don't understand love and anything, as parents, we want our children to fear us in obedience so that we can make sure they make better choices. And part of that is that they might grow to learn how to love. And as they grow to learn how to love as friends or as you said, or as filial fear, you know, so that their reason for living obedient lives is not just because they fear punishment, it's because they fear that they'll lose our love or that they'll lose, they, they might worry about that. They might, or that they, they've lost trust. Uh, so it's more out of love that they are being obedient as opposed to trying to avoid. So it's this, it's this journey, this growing, this movement. And I, I remember Paul saying when he wrote his letter to the Philippians, he says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call. I mean, to me, that's a, this growing in love. And, and if you think about what the other letter that Paul wrote to those same Corinthian folk in his first letter when he described what love is, it's interesting to think of it this way, that, for example, love is patient and kind. Perfect love is patient and kind. I'm not there yet. 
So, but we recognize that if we are impatient and we are not kind, we have we then have a right to fear God because we will be held accountable for how we live if we're impatient. I mean, if we're impatient and we're unkind, if we're jealous, if we're boastful, uh, if we're arrogant, if we're rude, if we insist on our own way, if we're irritable, resentful, we rejoice at wrong, if we, re- we don't rejoice in what's right, if that's the way we live, then the truth is we don't fear God. If we don't care, not only are we not loving, we're not becoming like Christ. And so you can see how fear and love are hand and glove. They really are, it seems to me, very much hand and glove. And uh, I guess maybe the last thing I'll say, then I'll pass it back to you, my friend, like a football, as we enter football season, is uh, three things. Jesus said, but an almost, excuse me, three, three things. First of all, in almost every passage in the Old Testament, every passage in the New, or the early church fathers, when they talk about how do you bring up a child, it says bring them up in the fear of God. Almost universal. Number two, how did Jesus call us to enter the kingdom like children? So three, ipso facto, the necessity of fear of God. If we want to understand what love is, if we want to enter the kingdom, and maybe we look at the crisis we're going on today, I'm wondering if sometimes we jump too quickly to love and forgotten the fear. I think of the passage in Hebrews, you know, where he, he's talking about discipline. He says, don't, don't think that God hates you when he disciplines you. A father disciplines the sons and daughters that he loves. That's, uh, and anybody who's ever been a parent or, or like a parent, or even a school teacher, that kind of thing, we all know exactly what that means. That we discipline as a way of showing love. And what does discipline typically involve? Not just kind of athletic training, but also of saying, if you do this, this is <laughs> going to get you in trouble. There will be consequences. It becomes, um, you've probably heard the old story. It may, may be apocryphal, but... Uh, that there was an, uh, a small elementary school in an urban setting. You probably heard it, and they had uh, the school was like you know surrounded of the block on all four sides by heavy traffic, and the playground had a big um, like hurricane fence around it, and the kids would go out on the playground, had lots of fun, and then somebody got the bright idea, let's take the fence down. It makes the kids feel caged, all that. So they did, and then the very next day after they took it down, when the kids went out to recess, they all huddled, terrified, in the middle of the playground. Now, maybe it's not a true story, but it's a beautiful image that the the fence not only kept them in, it kept the cars out. You yeah. know, In their minds, it was a, a form of protection. And at some level, I think we all realize that when the, the beautiful psalms about how I love your law, O Lord, and how sweet it is, uh, sweeter than honey and like precious gold to me. And some people today would say, are you kidding? I don't want any laws. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I don't like all those rules, especially Catholics. They'll say about Catholic rules. But as you come to understand it the way the psalmist did, they're a gift from God. They, they give us freedom. They give mm-hmm. us boundaries. They keep the, the cars out <laughs> of, of our, you know, the area where we are trying to be safe. When you teach RCIA yes. in your parish, um, maybe just a, a closing thought as we go. As you, as you teach RCIA, how do we help new Catholics Or do you help new Catholics 
know the fear of God. I talk about, uh, in fact, I'll be talking about this tomorrow night in our class when I talk about God's creation, especially what it means for him to have created the human person, that, um, that the, the rules and the guides he gives us are, as the church says, they, are, they correspond to our nature, that he gives them to us for our protection, for our safety, because to, to break them is to act contrary to our nature. I always use the, uh, the analogy of the early microwave ovens when they first came out. Uh, a lot of people said, I don't know how to do this, and I don't want to read the instructions. I'll just put something in, you know. And they might put an aluminum pan in there or something, <laughs> fireworks. And I tell the sad story. It was actually in the papers at one time when I was a kid about how a uh, little boy's cat came in out of the rain and was all wet. And he said, well, I'll dry the cat, and he puts it in the microwave. <laughs> we see what happens. And I say, you know, it's you got to follow the manufacturer's instructions. The manufacturer knows what he made and why he made it, and he gives instructions to follow that are in keeping with the nature of the thing <laughs> and in our case he's given us out of love because he knows what will break us he knows what will starve us he knows what will disorder us and so that's why we follow but i mean paul come on i mean i mean we all know today that hell is just a myth <laughs> So the point is, what, book about that. what is there to fear? I mean, <laughs> what, why, why do people fear? And even if, even if there is a hell, once you're baptized, then you don't need to worry about it anymore. So there is no need for Christians to fear God anymore because all we need to do is just love. Well, we could spend another hour talking about what the Scripture <laughs> says about that, that's for sure. But our God is a consuming Well, fire. maybe do talk yeah. for a second just about, about hell. I mean... The truth is, the church still teaches, without any apology, the reality of judgment. The, someone once said that hell is the final guarantee that what we do matters. Because if if there is no hell and instead it's we're annihilated or there's reincarnation or there's, you know everybody goes to hell, whatever, it doesn't really matter what we do. We'll all end up in the same place. And that's not why we believe it. We believe it because our Lord Himself spoke about hell in some of the clearest terms imaginable. But he, uh, he did so because he, he wanted us to realize we have free will. We can make a choice to turn away from God and his mercy. And so that's why we need to hear more about it. That's why I wrote one book that was set there, a novel, and I'm going to be writing another one soon. Yeah, the, the last book of the Bible says that another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, by what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead in it, death in Hades gave up the death in them, and all were judged by what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There is a hell, and there will be judgment. And that's why it is important even those of us that have been Christians all our lives and we think we've arrived, fear of God is still important. It is still important because we can be blind to our unworthiness, which, of course, is why Paul was telling the Corinthians that we are to make holiness in the fear of God. The way is narrow, and fear of God is like rails that keep us going right and straight for the way that's narrow that leads to, to the glory of heaven. 
All right. Thank you, Paul. I'd love to have another hour on this, as you would, mm-hmm. too. And I appreciate that. Again, for those of you listening that if you'd like to know more about Paul's writings, you go to Amazon.com and then just Google his name, Paul Thigpen, and it'll go to his or author page, and you'll find a lot of his, his stuff. And I uh, thank you for joining us on Deep in Scripture and look forward to being with you again soon. Thank you, Paul, for joining me today. Thank you, Marcus. God bless you. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.